our Savior in the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, he tells us that prior to the uh, second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that um, there would be many that would be deceived. Be many that are deceived. And he said that um, if it were possible that the very elect, the very elect would be deceived. And so I guess I've heard who the very elect is debated among old Baptist ministers as much as any subject I know of. And I've heard about as many theories on it for the number of old Baptist ministers that there are. So I was asked one time who I thought they were. I told them, I don't know who all of them are, but at least I know that it's the Saturday afternoon crowd at church. <laughs> They're at least in the very elect. You all are. You've got that going for you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and we trust it's all to the glory of his great name. It's always a sad, sad time. Uh, my sad time is now. Brother Chris's will be tomorrow. He bid you goodbye. But it's my sad duty to uh, bid you goodbye and return home um, to my responsibilities that are there. So I want to begin, I like poetry. I keep a book by my bed, the, my favorite book of poetry, and I bathe my soul in it with great regularity. I love great poetry. So I want to read one to you. I love this. I found it several years ago. It says, be like the bird who pausing in her flight on branches far too slight, feels them give way and yet sings, knowing she hath wings. Be like the bird who pausing in her flight, she lands on branches that are far too slight and she feels them give way, yet she sings, knowing she has wings. Sometimes in this world, we land on circumstances that are too slight for us. We are heavier than our circumstances and we feel the foundation giving way underneath us. But we don't have to panic. The bird did not panic. She continued her beautiful song because she had a secret. Even though the branch gives way, I have wings. And she continues to sing. We have wings. There is a truth. There is a truth that no matter your circumstances in life will keep it from overwhelming you. 
You really do have wings. I, I apologize for my emotion. I want to talk to you for just a little while about heaven. I've been not just kidnapped, for those of you who can chronicle my life with me, for some reason, there are people who refuse to be around me often. I've been in a lot of near-death experiences, just the way it fell out. I have. I've been lost 125 feet below, the, in the water, in caves. Couldn't find my way out. My air would run out before I got back to the top of the surface. God sent men to meet me. Uh, I've been in bad automobile wrecks. I've been in bad storms. Um, so, in, in the fall of 2020, in the fall of 2020, um, and by the way, I was asked to share this today. I have started, I guess, in my life recently, uh, preaching by request. <laughs> I never did that when I was younger. A dear sister here asked me to share this. She heard me speak on this. In the fall of 2020, when the first wave of COVID, which was so bad, in August, I lost my mother. They got her on a respirator and we couldn't get her off. In September, I lost my brother-in-law. They put him on a respirator and they couldn't get him off. And then in October, I went to the hospital with COVID and both of my lungs would have pneumonia. It was several months before I shared with my wife, she was about to look at my medical records and I thought, I've got to come clean. <laughs> um, I was in the hospital for eight hours and they put me out because I refused to go on a respirator that day. I've only shared this one time previously McClenny Church was very, still kind of new to me, a little tender, so please forgive my emotion. I was there for eight hours. When I went in, they told me that my left lung was on the brink of collapsing. I had double pneumonia, COVID pneumonia, and so sweet doctor, precious doctor was looking out for me, and she said, we need to put you on a respirator right away, and I said, no, we, we're not going to do that. They couldn't get my mother and my brother-in-law off, and we just buried them. Brother Chris, that's his sweetheart, said the last words over my mother's precious body. <clears throat> and I said, you all are not getting people off of respirators. I'm not going on one. And she said, I understand, Mr. Crawford, but our, our hospital is full. It's overrunning. If you're not willing, I don't know that our director will let me keep you. And about 20 minutes later, that sweet doctor was replaced by a mean doctor. <laughs> it's going to be good cop and bad cop. And that director came in and said, I understand you don't want to get better. I said, oh, I want to get better. I love life. Listen, 
I'm like the fellow that the preacher said, everybody wants to go to heaven, raise your hand. And everybody did in church. And the old deacon that he loved so much did not raise his hand. So he said, everybody wants to go to heaven, raise your hand, said it again. And the old deacon didn't raise his hand. The third, everybody wants to go to heaven, raise And the deacon didn't raise his hand. And he looked at him and said, Brother Charles, don't you go to heaven? He said, he said, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, I sure do. I just thought you were getting up a load today. <laughs> So I want to go to heaven, but listen, life is good. Longevity has its place. I didn't want to die, and that's the reason I didn't. Now listen, however you handled COVID, and I don't judge anybody about whether you're a vaxxer or non-vaxxer, respirator, non-respirator. I don't judge anybody about it. We all walk in the light that we have to walk in, but I wasn't going on it. And so she said, uh, by law, I have to keep you eight hours, but after eight hours, you're out of here. You don't want to get better. And then the sweet doctor came back in. She said, I really think your left lung is going to collapse, and if it does, you're not going to be here very You're not going to be here very long. I said, can you help me before you sit? She said, I'm going to give you everything I got in the next eight hours. And she said, we'll, I said, well, you know, by the time I leave here, whether it's stable or not, she said, we will know. And I apologize for the lengthy introduction, but there's no one to follow me. <laughs> so I was upset for about 30 minutes. I was. I love my wife. No one loves their wife more than I do. And I love my son. No one loves their son more than I do. And the Lord helped me with that for those 30 minutes. And so I decided... I'm going to think about heaven. <laughs> I'm going to think about heaven. And so I did. For the next probably six hours, I just reflected over and over and over again about heaven. And it got so close and so near and so sweet. Toward the end of that time, when the doctor came in and she said, your lung, we, we've stabilized your lungs. If you, we're going to send you home. with," And they did a ton, a bunch. I was almost a little sad that I wasn't going there. It had gotten so close. I went home and I wrote down things. I want to share them with you, if you would, this afternoon about heaven. I'm telling you, young folks, remember, this is not just for uh, our precious, well-seasoned saints. You know, one foot in this world and one foot, you know, Listen, the truth of heaven bore me up over all of the burdens of my life. Heaven is real. That's the first thing I want you to know. This is not all that there is. This is not. This is just a little, little place. It's just a little. This is not what God has ultimately designed us for. We're going to a great place called heaven. Abraham looked for his city which hath foundations whose builder and maker was God. It's a real place. First of all, um, how we're going to get there. The good news is a lot of us are already there <laughs> in soul and spirit. My precious mother and brother-in-law already there. There are loved ones that are already there. But how are we going to get there? 
Jesus said this, and this is his promise, and Brother Chris said, Christ's always honest, we can trust him. He said in John 14, he said, if I go away, I'll come again, I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now listen, I, we used to sing a little silly song when I was a boy. Thank God we don't sing it anymore. We used to sing that song, will he send his angels for me? No, I'm telling you, I think whenever the child of God breath leaves their body, Christ receives them into heaven. I'm thankful for angels, but I'm looking for Jesus. So what is it? What is heaven? It's where God dwells. It's his capital city. And he tells us in Isaiah 66, 1, Thus saith the Lord, that heaven is my throne. It's a place. It's where his throne is. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where's the house that you build unto me in the place of my rest? It's a place. It's where God has his throne. And so who is there? Who's in heaven? Thought about that? Well, the angels that kept their first estate, they're there. Elect angels are there. The representatives of creation before, the four living creatures are there. And the four and twenty elders in their thrones encircle the throne of God in glory. And all of the bride of Christ is being assembled like a great orchestra. Is being assembled in heaven one by one. It's the land of the living. John Owen, whenever he was dying... That great author, John Owen, when he was on his deathbed, he was writing, he was dictating letters as he was dying, and his secretary was writing to his friends, and his secretary was taking uh, dictation, and John Owen said, write to my friend that I remain in the land of the living, but I'm going to the land of the dying. He said, no, 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 no. He said, reverse it. I'm in the land of the dying, but I'm going to the land of the living. Where is it? Where is it? Well, that's a good question. Where is it? I thought a lot about that. Let me say this. First of all, it's not here. It is not here. There is a form of Eastern mysticism that's very popular, and in the institutes of higher education, you will appear as very informed if you believe that heaven, that there is a place that heaven's really all around us. We just can't see it. Heaven is a place, and it's not here. It's not here. It has its own place. Heaven is a place. Liberal thinkers uh, work very hard today to make you feel like, especially young folks, to make you think that you're uninformed, unenlightened if uh, you believe in heaven. Stephen Hawking, the leading liberal thinker and chief atheist of the past 30 years, he said this. He said, heaven is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the dark. And I say, atheism is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the light. 
They speak of it as the opiate of the masses. The thought of heaven is the opiate of the masses or pie in the sky illusions. And they would have us believe as in Narnia that it's always going to be winter and it's never going to be Christmas, but Jesus Christ is coming back again and he's going to take us there. Speaking, I'm going to one more time, Brother John, mention Narnia and that great poem about when Aslan comes back to Narnia, that everything is going to be well. It says, wrong will be right. When Aslan comes in sight, at the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter will meet its death. And when he shakes his mane, spring will come again. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to shake his mighty, his mighty mane, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's going to carry us back to heaven, an eternal spring. But it's very popular, liberal theologians today, liberal theologians, those who call themselves Christian, are teaching, and probably now the majority of pulpits and Christian pulpits today are teaching that, that heaven is just kind of a state of mind. Eastern mysticism has slipped in, that heaven is a condition, it's an attitude, it's a state of mind. It's uh, just a condition between, uh, a union between God and man. It's not a real place. But let me say this, when uh, liberal uh, preachers and thinkers espouse such nonsense, in the words of Christ, it's the equivalent of giving a child a stone when he asks for bread. If that's what you have to say about heaven, that it's just an attitude or state of mind. When you deny that heaven's a place, it's like giving a child uh, a serpent when he asks for a fish or a bride, a, a bouquet of poison ivy instead of a bouquet of fresh flowers. Heaven is a place. Heaven is a real place. And how do you know that heaven is a place, preacher? I know it because I trust what Jesus said. I remember whenever the 70 were sent out by Jesus and they returned rejoicing, saying, Master, even the spirits are subject to us. And Jesus said, don't rejoice that spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven, that heaven has to be a place for names to be written there. We read about there being a father in heaven, angels in heaven, wonders in heaven, multitudes in heaven, not some airy abstraction or some nebulous silvery wave that's careening across uh, eternity. Heaven is a real place. Is a city a place? Abraham sought heaven as a city, as I said, whose builder and maker is God. What a mistake people make when they try to convince people or they believe uh, that heaven is just a state of mind. Heaven is just as much a place as this house of God is uh, a place or just as much a place as Keysville, Florida is a place. It's just as much a place as any place is a place. Is a country a place? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they sought heaven as a country, but not like, our, not like our corrupt countries. They said it's a better country, a heavenly country, even better than Canaan in which they lived. It's not subject to the 
transitory nature of this terrestrial ball on which we live, heaven don't change. It's a place. Jesus said that he was going to come again and receive us unto himself to where he is. That's where heaven is. It's where Jesus is right now. There we would be also. Listen, in the resurrection, I'm going to go to a place. I'm going to go to a place. And I know it because Jesus has promised that I'm going to have resurrection feet because I'm going to have some place holy and glorious to walk with my resurrection feet. And I'm going to have resurrection eyes to behold the glorious colors and hues and be regaled by the glorious vistas of that place that it has to offer. And I'm going to have resurrection ears that I'm going to be able to hear the glorious strains of the singing and the praise and the glory that's being given to God. I'm going to a place. All of that's going to happen. Jesus did not listen. Jesus didn't shy away from the truth about heaven being a place. He said this. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I've heard old Baptist preachers all my life trying to explain away that mansions don't mean mansions. How about we just accept that we're going to have mansions up there in heaven? I used to hear that old Charlie Pride song, What a Shame. Lord, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. I don't deserve that. But I'm telling you, Jesus has purchased a mansion for me in a place called heaven. And I'm going there. I'll walk down the streets of gold across Hallelujah Boulevard into the throne room of God where he holds his throne and give glory to Jesus. Little girl, little girl asked a preacher. Uh, so who made heaven anyway? And that's a, that's a fair question. They were standing around the grave of her mother. And the faithful preacher said that heaven is the most beautiful place that the wisdom of Christ could conceive or that the power of Christ could prepare. You look upon the glorious cities of this earth and many of them have symphonies in them with strains of music that overwhelm our souls and they possess architectural, uh, they protect, they, they have architectural wonders that boggle my mind whenever I look at them in institutions in our cities with learning that defies comprehension. Yet for all of that, my friends, the most glorious cities on the face of this earth, there is no city on this earth where the wheels of the hearse have not rolled or that don't have a garden in them that has not been consumed by frost or blight. They must have medical facilities in our glorious cities for the sick and the suffering of this world. But I want to tell you about a city where the mourner's cry is never heard and the leaf is always green and the doctor does not practice his curious art of medicine because there is no dying in that land whose city is name is everlasting life. Who made heaven? Jesus Christ made heaven. Paul Paul would allude to it and John would tell us. John would tell us in his gospel in the first chapter that all things were made by him. That is Jesus. 
All things were made by him, and without him is not anything made that was made. And then Paul, that marvelous apostle to the Colossians, he tells us that Christ has created all things, all things that are in heaven. He made heaven, all things that are in heaven, all things that are on earth, whether it be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. He's before all things and by him, all, all things are made by him and for him. And he's before all things and by him, all things consist. Jesus made heaven, made heaven for you and I. And Jesus who sent forth the original light in this universe as an archangel bearing garments of fire across an uncharted night, he himself has made this great city of light in which no shadow will ever come. Jesus, who poured from the crystal chalices of heaven all of the rivers of this world that you and I, he himself made that glorious river clearest crystal that flows from underneath the throne of God in heaven. Jesus who made all of the trees of this world and himself died on a tree that he created. That same Jesus made the tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nations and whose fruit will refresh our souls when we get to glory. You say, well, Brother David, I don't know if there's really going to be a tree there. Well, I know it's all symbolic imagery, but that's what he gave me to preach, and so that's what I'm going to preach. <laughs> so by the veracity of God's word, which is going to stand when the worlds are on fire, heaven is a place whose foundations were laid by Jehovah's mighty hand and built by the Son of God himself. So what's it like? We know who made it. What's it like? It's a gate, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a city that preeminently is a city of gates and walls. Gates speak of access and walls speak of protection. But you'll notice that the gates of this city are never closed because we don't need to be protected from anything whenever we get there. The gates don't have to be closed and they're unique gates. Their gates are made of pearl. And I love this. Pearls, I raised, I'm raised up in the state of oysters. We have all the oysters in the world down in Florida. So pearls come because uh, a little foreign substance gets inside of an oyster. And it aggravates the oyster. And through a process of extreme suffering inside of the oyster, it begins to secrete a substance and cover uh, that foreign particle that's inside of it. That hard, creamy substance that hardens into what we know as a, a pearl. It's through the suffering of that organism that a pearl is made. And so as you and I go into the gates of heaven, the first thing we're going to be reminded of when we go into glory, that it's not by works of righteousness that we've done that we have access, but we're going to see those big gates of pearl that are going to remind us it was the suffering of someone else who gave us access to that great city. Gates of pearl will remind us of the suffering of our Lord and Jesus Christ who has made our access beautiful. And there, there's abundant access. There's plenty of access. You don't have to worry about getting squeezed out at a gate. There are gates on the north, gates on the south, gates on the east, gates on the west. And if you'll forgive me, I hope to go through the southern gate myself. <laughs> 
The gates are always open. There's no night. God's people are there. Abundant access, it doesn't matter. It's a city of splendor and glory. While the foundation of it, the foundation of that city are of, uh, are of precious stones, valuable stones. Not many weeks ago, I went through uh, the castle that William the Conqueror built almost a thousand years ago. And it houses the crown jewels of Great Britain. And it was amazing to see. But about halfway through, as I was looking at the crown jewels of Great Britain, there are about $4 billion worth of them. I thought to myself, I began to think again about heaven and its glory and its splendor and the foundation of it, our jewels. And I began to look at the crown jewels of, of Great Britain. I thought, well, that's no more than costume jewelry to the Lord compared to the glory and splendor of heaven. Amen? Heaven is a glorious place. It's a covenant city. It's a city that's built on the everlasting covenant. On the foundation are written the 12 names of the 12 tribes of people. God's covenant community in the Old Testament. And then the 12 apostles, the representative of God's covenant community in the New Testament. It's a covenant city for covenant people. Uh, and it's there by a covenant keeping God. Thank God there's no night in that city. Aren't you glad when I was a little boy? I was afraid of the dark. I was a skittish little boy. <laughs> I didn't like the night. And uh, I was always afraid of the dark. And thank God my father slept on a big old poster bed. And I'd wait till about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning when I knew he was sleeping. About every night you'd find a little boy laying up underneath his father's bed because I was so afraid of the dark. And it was a... Hallelujah Christmas when my Aunt Ruby finally realized how afraid I was of dark. She bought me a little Davy Crockett nightlight from my room. I didn't have to get under my father's bed anymore. I don't need a Davy Crockett nightlight up there in heaven because there's no night up there. Hallelujah. Just light, sunlight from the glory of God. You know, a lot of people, it amazes me. You just be thankful folks and be glad to know they're getting to go to heaven. But a lot of people fret like, well, I don't know if I, if I want to go. If I don't know what, heaven sounds like it could be a boring place. We don't know a lot about what we're going to do. I've had that conversation with a brother. You know, really? Yeah, come. <laughs> That's just needing something to worry about, isn't it? <laughs> What are we going to do? I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. Revelation 22, 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Is that good enough? We're going to get to serve Jesus when we go up there. And he knows what service looks like, and I'll leave that with him. But just in case, now you have to give me a little liberty here, just in case you're concerned that you're not going to have something to do when you get to heaven We'll have an afternoon in heaven. So the bells of heaven begin to ring and peal and toll. And they're calling for the bride of Christ to, to gather in the throne room of God. And so they'll come from all across glory. And, and we'll be very interested to go into the throne room because Jesus will be there. And artists will come as the bells peal and toll for us to assemble. Artists. Those who've been artists in this world, they will come to see him, to contemplate his ultimate beauty. 
and philosophers will seek him to delve into his unbridled wisdom and doctors will come to see the great physician and historians are going to come to see the theme of all history and lawyers will come to see him who is equity and who is justice and authors and writers will come to see him who is the narrative of history and eternity. Sailors will come to see the anchor of their souls both sure and steadfast and old soldiers will come to see him who is the captain of their salvation who never lost a battle. We're going to have plenty to do when we get to heaven. Kings and queens, the word of God says, we're getting close to the end. Y'all been so delightful. Kings and queens, the word of God says, are going to bring their glory into it. We're so, we're so amazed with Queen Elizabeth, weren't we? So I went to see her crown jewels. I went to see the throne chair that's been there for almost a thousand years. I went to Buckingham Palace. I went to see the glory and the splendor of the longest standing monarchy. It's interesting, it's novel. Listen, kings and queens, this is what we're gonna do in heaven. Kings and queens, I love this. They're gonna bring their glory into it. There was a queen, she's called the queen of the south, who millennia ago, she carried all of her glory with her. She traveled north to the kingdom of Israel to see an incredible king, human king. Listen to me very carefully now. Her name was the queen of Sheba. She went to prove Solomon with hard questions, see if his wisdom was really what she thought it was. And so Solomon entertained her so as she brought gifts in abundance and Solomon entertained her so well. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and when she'd seen the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, the glory and the splendor of Solomon was so great that there was no spirit left in her. She passed out. She fainted away at the glory of Solomon. That's incredible glory, isn't it? Listen about heaven. And so, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 42, he said that the queen of the south, Sheba, shall rise up in the judgment against this generation. She's going to come up in judgment against this generation. And then he said, for I tell you that a greater than Solomon is here. So what does all that mean? Here's what it means. Here's how glorious heaven is. And he who makes it glorious is Jesus Christ, the manifestation of the thrice holy God. The Father makes it glorious. But listen, he's crowned him because of his covenant faithfulness. Jesus Christ is going to be the epicenter of heaven. It's that by covenant arrangement. He promised, he promised the Son of God, you do this. And I will give you a name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue should confess. And this is the glory of heaven. Listen to me, friends. 
the queen of Sheba, whenever she rises in the resurrection and she goes into heaven in her body and all the kings of the earth, is there. this is how glorious heaven is and the glory of Jesus Christ. When Sheba comes in in her body and Solomon, who she fainted at his presence on the face of the earth, whenever Sheba sees Solomon, she's going to walk right past Solomon like he wasn't even standing there. And she's going to go to Jesus and cast her crown from off of her head and lay it at his feet. We're going to heaven to see Jesus. We're going to revel in him. We're going to serve him. We're going there. We're going to heaven. All the redeemed family of God without the loss of one. So, dear young folks, if you're going to have stability in your life, you must live your life in the reality of heaven. I mean that. You must live your life in the reality of eternity. My life has been, it, I, listen, it was just a few days ago that I came here for the first time. I had a head full of black hair. That was only a few days ago. So I'm not kidding you. It's been so, it seems like it's been so short. There are times, now you're going to laugh at this, that I even forget I'm bald. That's right. I still see myself as having a head full, and I look in the mirror, oh, you're bald. It's just been a few days ago. It's just been a few days ago. The greatest fear that we have to deal with is what happens after death. And it's paralyzing. And I'm telling you that if you, by God's grace, can constantly embrace the truth that there is a place called heaven, we're going there, and Jesus is waiting on us and all of the saints of God, and it's going to be wonderful when we get there throughout all eternity. If you can embrace that, then like the little bird, when you're in circumstances that are giving way underneath there, you can rise above them. What's the worst that can happen to me? I'm a big worst case scenario guy. If I get into a problem or a trouble, I was thinking, what's the worst thing that can happen to me? And quickly I go, to, I could die. Okay, I'm going to heaven. Now we got that. I'm going to be all right. It's going to be okay. Like me, Jack Chadrack and Abednego, don't threaten me with heaven. It'll be okay. Knowing that, knowing that keeps really temporary matters, especially when you're young. You just think this is always going to be like this. It's just crushing. It's never going to change. This is horrible. I can't keep enduring this. Listen, night doesn't last always. Heaven's just around the corner. Ultimate deliverance is just around the corner. And in your life, God will give you grace and you can have joy in the midst of your difficult circumstances. But the ultimate truth is we're designed, we are designed for something other than this. Listen, the wounds of the garden are going to be healed, but we're not just going back to the garden of Eden. We're going something far greater. It's called heaven. And if I don't see you anymore here, I don't leave here hopeless and sad. I leave with great joy in my heart, knowing that for the child of God, the end of the road is just a bend in the road, and right around the bend is heaven. That's it. So if I don't see you here, 
I'll see you over there. May God bless you and keep you is my prayer for Christ.